1: Time! Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time, I'm Hamish Bidwell. Well, after much preamble and consulting of crystal balls, kickoff time has finally arrived. Yes, Rugby World Cup 2019 gets underway with the host Japan playing Russia tonight, then the All Blacks play South Africa and their tournament opener tomorrow night. We'll discuss all the permutations, expectations, saturations, exhortations, and a bunch of other tations with former All Black Philo Tietia and our rugby correspondent Joe Porter, who's in Japan. It's not a rugby today though, Netball New Zealand is handing out exemptions again for Silver Fern's Maria Filo and Laura Langman. And there's a first for the Warriors, National Rugby League women's side this weekend. They've got their first game at Mount Smart Stadium. Right, so, Rugby World Cup. We're joined by RNZ rugby correspondent Joe Porter, who's in Tokyo, and former, Philo, uh, former All Black Philo Tier. Philo, if I could start with you, mate, uh, welcome. And um, what do you make of the All Blacks team that's been picked to play South Africa?
2: yeah it's an interesting uh, selection uh, to start off the, the world cup campaign um very competitive there, there's a lot of experience in, in the side and uh but also some i guess some some youth in in the back line so man, looks looks good
1: um i'm interested in your take on on, on the loose forwards and and, and Ardy, particularly at number six how do you think he's gone there so far and how do you think he'll go as the tournament develops
2: um I, look i think uh, adi's gone really well um you know obviously his main position is seven um but I think he's proven um, in his game his work rate's improved and the ability to carry. Uh, he's a very dangerous ball in hand and, and um, keeps the fences uh, guessing. Uh, but also defensively, you know, he probably complements Sam Kane and, and Rido just around the ball. So, um, yeah, interesting combination.
1: And correct me if I'm wrong, in our ignorance as, as, as pundits, we assume that, that six is often a position where a guy has potential to play lock as well. And you wouldn't say that about Artie. Does he does he lack size to play there?
2: Um, you know, I think um, in the past, when you look at uh, the type of sixes that uh, New Zealand All Blacks have gone around the trends, have gone up high, been a, a good... Line up forward, uh, but also seen as an enforcer, uh, that changes momentum swings with, um, the ability to carry the ball, but also when you don't have the ball to be quite violent around the, the tackle and, and create turnovers. And, you know, look at Jerome and the late Jerry Collins, um, mould. So, like, he's a bit of a hybrid uh, when you look at Adi. Uh, he's got the ability to win line up ball as well. And, um, I think, um, with the selection there with, and, and with Riedel being a, one of the best lineups forwards in, in the world, um, you know they sort of do complement each other.
1: Joe, if I can come to you. How, how have you found the All Blacks this week? Are they are they relaxed? Are they uptight? Uh, do you sense an expectation around the group? How would you describe them?
3: Incredibly, incredibly relaxed, maybe too much so. It seems like they're just completely chilled out and uh, just waiting, basically, for this game to happen. They've had to calm themselves down a little bit. I know a few of them have been itching to go for this game and uh, sort of already on a Thursday, maybe starting to play the game in their heads already. So they've got to backtrack and maybe just calm down and rest up a bit. They seem really relaxed. They seem happy with where they're at, happy with where they are, and they're just ready to go. They just can't wait to play the box, which is probably a good sign.
1: Do you think the game's important? I mean, clearly it's important, but it's it's not life or death this week, or is it?
3: No, it's definitely not life or death. In fact, a loss would hardly be the end of the world for either side. They could both still end up in the final quite easily. Look, what it does do is it gives the it's it's a perfect game for the All Blacks first half. It gives them a marker as to where they're at. If they lose, well, they've got three weeks to work on what they need to do to improve that before the quarterfinals. If they win, they're on track and they're looking good and they have that confidence boost. Now, if you're playing the easy teams three games in a row before the quarterfinals, you might not necessarily get a gauge of where you're actually at. You might just breeze through those games without having much challenge. You're not really sure how you're tracking as you hit the quarterfinals. They'll know full well by the end of tomorrow night where they're at and how much they need to improve, or if they're going well, heading towards the quarterfinals.
1: Philo, do you have a hunch about who might win this game?
2: Uh, well, I mean, being a Patriot, look, like, um, I think the All Blacks. Um, I'm going to back of the All Blacks, but I think it's a it's just one of those games, and, and it's really interesting to hear that they're they're excited and then they're ready to go, and probably need to pull themselves back I mean geez they've known the state was coming and um, I know they'd be ready Um, and you know it's got to be an exciting game
1: Would you rate the Springboks as as genuine title contenders? I mean in my mind I've probably got England, South Africa and New Zealand and not not that many other teams beyond that how do you look at it?
2: Well I think um, if if you coach it, when you coach and these guys are all uh, top class coaches their mindset, and when they're coaching their players, is that the, at the end of the day is that they they need to make sure that they nail their job and around their preparation. And then at the end of the day, it's to win the World Cup. So, you ask the question: Do you think South Africa got an ability to, to win it? Hundred percent. Southern England and Southern Ireland and Southern New Zealand. So that's the best thing about the World Cup. It's one of those tournaments that uh, you just got to get the things right and keep building uh, and focus on the process and just keep winning it. So it's exciting.
1: Joe, am I right in thinking that it's going to be wet um, this week?
3: Yep. Yeah, forecasters for quite a lot of precipitation tomorrow night in Yokohama, which could make things slightly interesting. You'd assume that would sort of favour the spring box a little bit. You, you, you know what they're going to do. They're going to try and advance the ball about 20 metres, get a, get above the game line, box kick through their halfback down the wings, put George Bridge and Seve Reese and Bowden Barrett under pressure, look to force the All Blacks to play within their own half and try and, I guess, force them into penalties and turnovers, take points when they can and offer in that All Blacks half and hopefully score one or two tries when they get presented with the opportunity. So the All Blacks know exactly what's coming their way. And the, and the wet weather will, in fact, make it probably more set in stone. So the All Blacks know what's coming. It's going to be their skill set. They will still want to play the game at pace. They'll still want to play the game pushing you spring box wide and try and get outside and around that rush defence. The weather will ha- will hurt, will hamper that ch- their chances to do that. So the All Blacks skill set is going to have to be on point if they want to employ the game they want to employ.
1: Two things, Joe. Do you think, or were you surprised, given that what's likely to happen weather-wise, that Ben Smith wasn't in the back three and... You sort of mentioned it. New Zealand want to play up tempo, they want to keep the ball in hand, they want to play at pace. Do you think that they'll have to revert to a slightly more attritional game given the, the circumstances?
3: Uh, well, I think they will. And I think, you know, that's the beast, nature of the beast of the World Cup, too. These games do tend to head that way when things get tight. Um, they're going to try and do what, you know, going to try and employ their game plan and look to spread it wide. But Ben Smith, I just think Hansen's not quite comfortable with this form. They're wedded to this dual playmaker role. And since Richie Mwang is back and ready, they wanted to give him another crack there. Uh, the, the Wings are just playing so well that they're hard to replace. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're wedded to this, this dual playmaker experiment. So I think that's the main reason why Ben Smith's not on the team and perhaps a little bit of lack of confidence around his own form from Steve Hansen. Um, you're right. If the weather really gets them in the box, uh, you know, within a few points or leading coming to the half-time, the Ubacks may have to look at their strategy and, and re-change their game plan. But... They'll still, they'll still try their best. They're going to try and spread it, spread it wide, run the ball through the hands, get the props running, and, and you know, distributing the ball where they can. So I think they're still going to try their best. But you're right, the conditions may force their hand.
1: Philo, we've seen teams dunking balls and dishwashing liquid and, and baby oil and bits and pieces to try yeah. and make things as slippery as possible. How challenging are the conditions over there at this time of year? And and how much of a leveller could that be? It, it, will size and brawn still be um you know a, a big weapon, or will skill execution maybe be a leveller?
2: No, I, I think um, you know most teams have identify that um that it's going to be slippery, and um, you know ways and means of trying to counter that by training with wet balls and all and, and things like that. By um, living in Japan for twelve years, um, it's going to be very humid. Uh, the, the, the conditions on the ground is going to be very dewy and slippery. Um, so, in saying that, uh, most teams that you know Japan are playing Russia uh, tonight, and um, they know that their set piece needs to be good, and so do the All Blacks. They need to counter the big South Africans. Uh, the South African's game plan is, is very simple, especially in the wet and the All Blacks are prepared for that so they need to make sure that they get their set piece right and, and uh, to nullify them game one um, and, and obviously not give Penn with his way um, so it's a very simple game
1: I think I'm right in saying that you worked with Eddie Jones Philo and he's someone that we probably are fascinated by in this country but don't know a lot about and I'm, mm. I, if I'm honest I would have thought that he he certainly has a reputation as a bit of a, a micromanager who, who burns players out and I thought that some of the English might have sort of turned against him by this time in the cycle, but they look a really good team. What can we expect from from England, and and what sort of what are the strengths of, of Eddie Jones?
2: Um, Eddie's a he's a first class coach, and the other part of Eddie is he's a first class human being. Um, he he's, uh, he's very intense, um, but he, he certainly knows the style of game that he wants to play, and, and obviously profiling his players, and uh, he knows that there's English pack uh, they've. That's one area that uh, England are never weak at, and uh, the know that set at peace is going to be really important. Uh, but also the ability to play. I mean, if you watched um, Japan when Nidhi when was coach, uh, they play fast at the expensive game. You can see trends of uh, how England need to play fast and quick because the conditions in Japan allows you to do that. Um, so the kicking game will be really important because of the Jew, uh, and uh, the athletes they have, it's quite exciting to see what they can do. Uh, Eddie's a he's a forethinker, uh, sort of a person. He thinks outside the box uh, more than someone I've ever worked with. Uh, but he, he does make people accountable, and to make sure they do their jobs uh, as coaches, but particularly players. So expect the unexpected with uh, with Eddie, and um, you know, and that's just the, the character of the person.
1: Um, Joe, New Zealand Rugby Chief Executive Steve chu has been back to the well this week, um, um, lambasting the Six Nations for uh, basically scuppering the Nations Cup and, and indirectly helping support um, Pacific Nations rugby uh, via sort of the money that came into that competition and promotion relegation. And he also had another lick at Brad Shields playing for England and, and he lamented that um, people like Pieto and uh, Luatua couldn't play for the nation, Pacific Nations of their heritage. Is has that, is that caused a, st- a, st- a stir at all in Japan?
3: Not hugely, no, to be honest. And most people's focus over here is on the World Cup. In fact, I did not even seen that story until last night. Look, I mean, I understand where he's coming from. There's a little bit of double standards from Mr Chu on his way out firing a few parting shots. I mean, there's a lot more that the NZR could do to support Pacific Island rugby. Um, and they, they are making the right noises in terms of trying to do that. We saw Brentonby come out recently. And look, World Rugby does need to address the eligibility issues because having Piotr not playing international rugby is an absolute crying shame. It's a crime. So he needs to be back. So they need to look at it. And they need to change it. And it's probably good for for people like you to start shaking the cage a little bit in that sense because there does need to be a change. Otherwise, this game's just going to stay within the traditional nations for the rest of eternity.
1: Philo, you had a long professional career after leaving New Zealand and 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 your time as an All Black. Would you have liked to play for Samoa? Or did you? Do you think that players should have that opportunity?
2: Oh, most certainly. I agree with uh, the, the sentiments of um, players that. Uh, have played international rugby for All Blacks or Australia or any Mm -hmm. country, but uh, when they go overseas and the opportunity to play for the heritage of Samoa or Tonga or Fiji or any country of that matter, uh, for me, it's a crime. Um, It's a crime in saying it because you don't see the best players on on the world stage, uh, but also the second-tier teams, uh, they lose opportunities to keep improving uh, and developing uh, players that probably aren't used to that sort of standard, but also the detail of another another coach, so to speak, from a technical p- uh, point of view or a tactical, um, the game's losing out. Uh, but also it's the game itself around a spectacle of, of being fast and quick and, and explosive. When you don't have those players available, it's, it's a shame.
1: People will argue, and I assume there was a point or points in your career where you had a choice. You either went the All Blacks route or the Samoan route. Mm. Did well, if people say, "Well, look, you made your choice. Good luck to you." Do you need to live with that, or do you think you should be able to have a second, a second crack at it?
2: Well, I'm living with it at the moment. Um, yeah, like, I'm pretty really proud that um, my heritage, uh, that my parents are from, from Samoa, and I made the choice of uh, committing myself to New Zealand, and that's fine. Um, but playing two tests, and, and but still, still being quite young, uh, when I did uh, move overseas, it was you know I still had the Drive and hunger to keep playing, um, and you know, we requested playing for Samoa, and but I eventually retired at 39. Um, I'm not saying that I could play at that level, uh, but the opportunity was certainly there.
1: You mentioned drive and hunger, that that reminds me of uh, Kerry Yuani, who I wanted to ask you about this time mm. last year. I would have thought, on the back of his form for you at Auckland, that he was a genuine World Cup candidate. He's fallen out of the mix sort of quite far distance. what does he need to do to, to put himself in the All Blacks frame and stay there, do you think?
2: I I think um I should, you know, Steve Hans has made a very clear statement around the things that um Akira needs to work on and uh Aki understands that and um and Aki will be he'll continue working on that while he's playing with Auckland in a minor ten and and stay competitive. Um, so it, it's entirely up to, to Akira and uh, I'm pretty sure that he's driven to stay in the forefront of the selectors and and hopefully they're still watching um, and I'm sure they'll, be, they'll have selectors watching his
1: form as well. I mean, do you regard him as a test class player?
2: Oh yeah, he's uh, got the potential of playing first class uh, in international rugby. Uh, there's just a few things that he needs to keep working on which um, you know it's very evident in, um, in Steve Hansen's comments.
1: You know as a as a loose forward, how dependent are you on how well your type five's going in terms of the things that you can do off off the back of that?
2: Oh, it certainly helps. I mean, if you've got a, um, a type 5 that is competitive and, and um, you know, it gives yourself a chance. Uh, but in saying that um, around its core roles of any athlete in any position, they just need to focus on that because that's the only thing they can focus on. It's... Um, Things that they they can control, so he knows what the things he needs to work on, and and, and he's in control of his his, um, his choices in his fate.
1: Just on the matter, team Well, I've got you. Are, are mm-hmm. Tasman going to win by mile, or is you guys going to put up a, a strong defence of the title? How do you think? How do you see the competition panning out?
2: Well, Tasman are playing well. Uh, they're certainly the form team to uh, to be watching. They're playing some exciting pl- uh, rugby, and uh, they certainly know how to use the ball, and they certainly, certainly know how to get the ball back. Um, so, yeah, they're the best team uh, with results at the moment. Um, we've got Wellington uh, on Sunday. Uh, it's going to be an exciting game for us, and um, we're looking forward to the challenge on Sunday. And um, there's still uh, you know, there's still five teams that can um, get into that top four, and, and there's a bit of a points log at the moment, and we've just got to focus on just staying competitive and just keep improving uh, our game, and which we're focusing on.
1: I'd be sacked if I didn't ask this. The, um, the Wellington head coaching job coming up for and You're a great Wellingtonian. Are you going to have a dart of that? What do you think?
2: Oh, that's probably another conversation <laughs> later
1: on. OK, thanks very much. <laughs> hey, just before I let you guys go, can we get a score prediction? New Zealand, South Africa, what do you think?
3: 22-15 to the
2: ABs. Oh, I, I don't give scores, mate, but uh, all blacks the win.
1: Good on you. Thanks very much, guys. We'll wrap it up there. captain Laura Langman and goal shoot Maria Fellow have again been granted exemptions to play for the Silver Ferns. After not playing in this year's ANZ Premiership the veteran duo needed special approval to represent New Zealand at the Netball World Cup. That is needed again as although Langman and Philo are yet to re-sign with their Australian clubs they aren't returning to play in New Zealand next year. Netball New Zealand's head of high performance Keir Hansen has confirmed the high-profile player had to apply for an exemption to be included in the latest Silverfern squad. He explained the reasoning behind the decision to Brenton Van Nisselrooy.
4: They've been granted exemptions through to, through the 2019-2020 contract term. They made themselves available for the squad and they were selected and exempted to be part of the
5: group. And so they're the only two you had to, I suppose, consider for exemptions too? Had to say, yep. Is there any thought given to making a a rule, not and not having a set in stone? Or I suppose not, and having a set in stone rule rather than just a case by case basis.
4: No, at this stage, there's, there's no change. The um, exemption process is case by case, and, um and the decisions made at board level by the uh, Netball New Zealand board.
5: And so, it's regardless of whether they actually do sign with a a Super Netball team or not.
4: Uh, how do you, How do you mean?
5: Well, they haven't, you know, they haven't as yet, as of yet, signed with a team for twenty twenty.
4: No, so so the um, the the rules are about um, the uh, our actual eligibility rules about playing in the premiership. So you have to play in the premiership to be eligible for silver ferns in the ANZ premiership. Um, So. players will apply for exemption if they're not playing in the league and that's obviously the case for these
5: two So you expect them to be obviously having been named in the national squad available for not only the Constellation Cup but also the the Nations Cup in the new year?
4: At at this stage they've made themselves available and and, and we've selected them for for the contract year
5: Uh, With the Nations Cup given Australia uh, obviously uh, aren't going to be competing in what was the quad series Um, any thought given to the Silver Ferns not taking part as well?
4: No, we we see the value in going up there and playing each each year in in the Northern Hemisphere. It's an important event. Uh, It's good to have that uh, international competition with England and South Africa and Jamaica taking part this time around is going to add another element again which which will be really valuable for our players.
5: I suppose then after that, that's when everything uh, we start to look at what the next squad will be and the futures of Maria Falau, Laura Langman and also Nolene?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Like we were, um, we're obviously in a, in a transitional phase now between two quadrennial cycles and we've got to, we've got to look towards 2023 and get that transition right and um, that's about maintaining the right level of leadership and, uh, but also bringing new players through. So yeah, we're going to be navigating that over the next little while.
5: Yeah, when do you hope to have that, that all sorted? Because I assume you, you, you don't want maybe all three of them going at the same time.
4: We don't have a firm timeline, you know. Like, like in all circumstances, we want to work with our players to do what's in their best interest, and also what is um, what is good for the team. And um, so, yeah, we're we'll, we're just working through keeping that those those I guess, those pieces of the puzzle. And
5: it seemed like most were picking Maria and Laura to retire after the the Netball World Cup, given they've committed to this upcoming campaign. You, Expecting then that there is a chance they'll, they'll play on for the, the Ferns posts, you know, that Nations Cup?
4: They'll work through what's what's right for them and and we'll support them in that process. And the mean, at, at the moment we're looking at Constellation Cup and going out and play, playing really well um, during Constellation Cup and we know that there will be a really important part of that so that's our immediate focus.
1: That's Netball New Zealand's High Performance Manager Keir Hansen talking to Brenton van Nisselrooye. Sunday's first home game is a trip into the unknown for the Warriors' National Women's Rugby League side. It's their first NRLW match at Mount Smart Stadium and the first time the side will have played a standalone match and not been the curtain raiser to the men's NRL side. Warriors player and Kiwi's, Kiwi Ferns international Crystal Rota told Clay Wilson it's a unique experience getting to spend the week at home in the lead up to the match.
6: Having this home game this weekend is a, a big advantage for us. Um, last year we flew week in, week out um, for the duration of the competition, so having that gap in between where we don't have to fly I think is going to be very beneficial for us. So, yeah, I think um, just the girls getting to prepare um, a bit differently on the week of not travelling, you know, just getting to rest a bit more and not having to fly is going to be a big difference for us.
7: To sleep in your own bed and be in your own house and all that sort of thing as well. Yeah, absolutely.
6: Being at home with our families as well, you know, there, there comes a factor in there as well where you miss family you miss your kids and those kind of things so just being at home with your family and also have knowing that you're going to have family support at the game is a big difference so it's great for us to get this home game
7: what are you expecting about sunday afternoon being here at home for the first time
6: i'm not actually sure what to expect i'm hoping that we can call some people in a crowd in. um it's, it's a little bit nerve-wracking you sort of think oh gosh i hope the stands aren't empty but i think it doesn't matter for us of whether we pull numbers it's more so that our families and friends are going to be there to support us so that's going to be um you know, the uplifting thing for the girls is to have know, look up in the stand and know that your friends and family are there more than seeing thousands of people that we do when we have games, um, you know, curtain raiser for the men, so yeah, just knowing our family is going to be there a big deal.
7: Do you see the progression we've seen already in this team this year being a sign of what the potential is for the women's game long term, you know, whether this competition could go long term, how, how much improvement you guys have already been able to make just in one season?
6: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, the more coverage that the game is getting, um, the more media attention, um, you know, all the girls' physicality, you know, the contact and stuff in the game, I think it just brings a lot of attention to the game and it makes younger girls and, you know, the up and coming generation think, oh, I want to be doing that, you know, when I get older. So I definitely think it's going to help grow this game and I've already seen the massive growth um, in the past year since the NRL last year in our local competition. So at, at club levels now, we have, you know, the eight groups and um, you know in the women's grade now we sort of have um, two different sections it's always sort of been one so there's definitely definitely growth in the game and I think a a lot of it comes down to all the promotional stuff and you know what the what these teams are actually doing at the moment so
7: you obviously see that young girls now teenage girls see this as a genuine pathway genuine career perhaps not in the not too distant future
6: yeah absolutely because Previously, it was kind of you go from grassroots into provincial, straight into Kiwi Ferns. So this is sort of you know bridging the gap there. So it'll be you know it goes Warriors and then Kiwi Ferns. So yeah, I think it's definitely a um, a, big, a bigger pathway, and it's not just the Warriors here in New Zealand. You know, girls can. Potentially make teams in Australia as well, so I think it gives girls, you know, a bit more hope that there's more potential teams to play for, as opposed to just only being the Kiwi firms to strive for. So I think that having more pathways is definitely encouraging for the younger generation.
7: How quickly do you see this com- this competition specifically growing? I mean, we've seen four teams last year, four teams this year. How quickly do you think it can grow and expand, and perhaps, obviously, one day the idea is to become, you know, exactly like the men's competition and have that full competition and have so many more teams involved.
6: I'm hoping that next year they at least put in a couple more teams. That'll be great for the game, you know, to grow the game. Um, I think this year there has been a lot more hype as opposed to last year around um, this competition. So, yeah, I'm hoping next year that they either have another couple of teams included or even a couple more rounds and play each other twice. Um, But, yeah, I I see the growth is going to be pretty quick from here on in.
1: And the Warriors women's side play St George Illawarra Dragons, kicking off at 3.15pm. And that brings us to the end of the extra time for another week. On behalf of the Extra Time Team, I'm Hamish Bigwell, Kaki.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?